Hello, and welcome to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas, and each week I'm going to watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you exactly what I think of them. I'll follow the same cadence every week, the basic details of the movie, things like who's in it, what's it about, and then I'll answer three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, should you watch it or is it a festering turd of a film that no one should have to sit through? Just as a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you'll also get my hot takes on many current events mixed with a heaping dose of adult language. Please be sure you listen with caution. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb as they are great sources of information for all things Oscar and movie related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is Gladiator. It was released May 5th of 2000. It is directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix, and Connie Nielsen. Plus, it has impressive supporting performances by Oliver Reed, Richard Harris, and Jaiman Huntsu. It was nominated for a total of 12 Oscars, and it won five of them. In addition to Best Picture, the film also won for Best Actor for Russell Crowe, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, and Best Visual Effects. If you want to watch it, it can be found on Amazon Streaming Service. The movie is free if you are a Prime member. Otherwise, you may have to pay. I think it's probably 3 or $4. What's it about? Well, first, let me give you the Wikipedia version, which states this. Russell Crowe portrays Roman General Maximus Decimus Meridius, who was betrayed when Commodus, the ambitious son of Emperor Marcus Aurelius, murders his father and seizes the throne. Reduced to slavery, Maximus becomes a gladiator and rises through the ranks to the arena to avenge the murders of his family and his emperor. That's accurate, but it doesn't do this movie justice at all. So let me tell you my version. Maximus is a powerful general who has conquered most of the world on behalf of Marcus Aurelius. Think back to what you know about ancient Rome. The emperors didn't stop until they basically ruled everything. And it opens with a big, brutal battle scene against the barbarians. And you get to see Maximus in action, which is important to the later story. Five minutes into this movie, you see how brave and bold and charismatic he is. It's clear that he has the absolute devotion of his foot soldiers, and he's definitely battle-tested. This man is a badass warrior, and he can fight, and you can see that really early on. He's also strongly favored by the emperor, who makes it very obvious that he prefers Maximus over his own son, Commodus. We, the audience, get to see the exchange where Marcus Aurelius basically tells Maximus, hey, when I die, I want you to take over. And Maximus is like, well, shit, I was planning to retire and take my army pension and head home to my wife and kid. But you've just asked me to rule Rome, so I guess I'll go do that instead. Now he's reluctant, but his emperor has asked him to step up and he's ready to do so. He loves and respects the man, so he'll do whatever he commands but we all know Commodus has other plans. And he does exactly what we all know he's going to do. 
Commodus kills his father and takes the throne for himself. But that's not all. He's smart enough to know that Maximus is going to be a problem. So Commodus orders his execution, and he foolishly thinks that is the end of his troubles with Maximus. Poof, out of sight, out of mind. But it's not long after that that, surprise, Commodus finds out that Maximus has survived and has managed to claw his way back from the pit of hell that Commodus turned his life into. And now he's seeking revenge. And that is what's going to captivate you. You get to see the full arc of this character. This is two movies woven into one. It's a gladiator, hand-to-hand combat, big action movie. But it's also this incredible story of one man doing everything he can to piece his life back together. He goes from the highest highs to the lowest lows, and you're invested because you're with him every step of the journey. I felt personally like I needed Maximus to have closure. I wanted so badly for him to get to the final fight and win for a final time. He needed to kill the people he had to kill and have the story end in his favor. I remember when the movie was first released in the theaters, and I was thinking, do I really want to see a movie about a bunch of guys killing each other with swords? There was really nothing about the gladiator genre that appealed to me at that point in my life, but I desperately wanted to see Russell Crowe. He was the draw. Full disclosure, there's a very small group, maybe less than 10 men in the entire world, that I would pay 20 bucks just to watch them play with a cardboard box. And Russell Crowe was one of them. And we're talking about Russell Crowe 20 years ago. Tan, fit, athletic, and wearing a toga. That was enough to get my ass to the theater. And as luck would have it, it turned out to be a fantastic movie. Question one, does Gladiator stand the test of time? I say yes. Vengeance is always in style, especially when it's necessary to topple a particularly evil or cruel person. I'm not saying go get vengeance on the person who cut you off in traffic, but let's face it, Commodus deserved everything he had coming to him. And everyone agrees. There's not a high level of sympathy for the guy. Basically, everyone that knows him is willing to load the gun. They all just need Maximus to pull the trigger. The action sequences in this movie are magnificent. It's violent, I'm not going to lie, but it has some amazing special effects. You feel like you're right there in the middle of the action. Men battling each other for honor and glory will always attract an audience. So even 20 years later, it's time well spent. The brilliant addition of two, I'll call them classic actors, Richard Harris and Oliver Reed, brings some authentic Hollywood nostalgia to the cast, which is a welcome addition. Sadly, this will end up being the last film Oliver Reed makes. He passed away just before it could be released. Another great casting move is Connie Nielsen as Lucia, daughter of Marcus Aurelius and Commodus's older sister, and coincidentally, the ex-girlfriend of Maximus. If you're not familiar with Connie Nielsen, she is a Danish actress who manages to absolutely own every single minute of screen time she's ever given. You've recently seen her in the Wonder Woman movies. She plays Hippolyta, Diana's mom, and the ruler of the Amazons. She is statuesque and confident and radiates royalty. The minute you see her on screen, you think, yep, that's her. That's the one that's in charge. Connie is five foot ten, so she is standing eye to eye with Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix in every scene, which adds to the unspoken strength of this character. I know this is just episode one, but you'll find 
I will always, always, always call this out. She is age appropriate. The story is that Lucia and Maximus were lovers when they were young before they both married other people. So I'm thrilled they picked an actress the same age as Russell Crowe. Hollywood seems to think every on-screen couple has to have a 30-year age difference between them. So I will always extend praise when they do the right thing. Hooray! Question two. Is it Oscar worthy? Of course it is. And it helps that it won in a year where there were several good smaller films nominated, but nothing of Gladiator's magnitude. This film was quite a juggernaut. The other films nominated that year were Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Chocolat. I feel that Crouching Tiger may have been the only one big enough with enough momentum to come close to competing with Gladiator. My guess it was probably between those two. Crouching Tiger was also nominated in the Best Foreign Film category, which may have given Academy voters an out, right? They could vote for Crouching Tiger in that category and wouldn't have felt bad for not voting for it for Best Picture. Traffic is the quintessential gritty drug cartel drama, and Aaron Brockovich is a biopic about a courageous woman who took on the bad guys and won. So both of those are the types of movies that are always well-suited for Oscar contention, and it's understandable how both were nominated that year. I gotta be honest, I'm not sure how Chocolat made the cut. I will assume it was due to the Harvey Weinstein Miramax bully pulpit bullshit he was famous for. I said it, and I'm not sorry. Now, the film had a great cast, and it did well at the box office, and Roger Ebert called the film charming and whimsical. But for my money, the fifth nomination should have gone to Almost Famous, or Wonder Boys, or Billy Elliot, or even Pollock, which were all better movies. Okay, I'll get down off my soapbox. The fact is, no matter who the other nominees were, Gladiator far outpaced any other movie that year, and it absolutely deserved to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Incidentally, Gladiator became the first film to win Best Picture without winning for either Best Director or Best Screenplay since 1949's All the King's Men. We'll hear more about All the King's Men sometime in one of the upcoming 93 episodes. Russell Crowe also won for Best Actor. This is an excellent performance, and although my personal opinion is that he may have been slightly better in both L.A. Confidential and A Beautiful Mind, this is still a very well-deserved win. Those other two movies had more extensive scripts, so there may be more for him to work with. But at its core, this is a fighting movie, so there aren't many opportunities for poignant moments of meaningful dialogue. There are a few pockets of conversation, but nothing that showcases how really good Russell Crowe can be. This Oscar win here is obviously due to his strong physical performance. You see it on his face, all the emotions he's feeling. There doesn't need to be a lot of dialogue. He takes you there with just the most subtle changes in his expression. He's well cast because Russell Crowe is a physically well-built man, big, broad shoulders, barrel chested. It's easy to believe that with all Maximus has lost, that he still has the physical strength to become a one-man wrecking ball. If Maximus was played by a taller, leaner, prettier actor, maybe like, I don't know, picture Ryan Reynolds, it wouldn't have been as believable. Russell Crowe has an everyman quality, a real authentic machismo that's perfect for this. And then it also happens that he's really fucking talented. 
it all comes together perfectly. If ever there was a role that like came off the assembly line and was exactly matched with the right actor, this is it. And I would be remiss if I didn't take a few minutes to talk about the Oscar-nominated performance of Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and in any other year, he might have had a really good shot at winning. It just happened to be that in 2000, the other nominees were, well, for starters, there was this Hollywood heavy hitter trifecta of Jeff Bridges, Willem Dafoe, and Albert Finney. And still none of them could beat the absolutely phenomenal performance of Benicio Del Toro in Traffic. That is a a once-in-a-generation performance. But I'm really impressed with what Joaquin was able to do with the role that has become kind of commonplace in movies and TV these days. We see it everywhere. It's the spoiled eldest son of a rich and powerful man who is believed to be the heir apparent, but the father really doesn't find him worthy and would instead prefer to hand his empire over to a trusted person outside the family. Or in many cases, there's a perfectly well-suited sister, but we never get to see that story play out. For similarity purposes, this is Kendall Roy in the show Succession, or Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones, or in real life, this is Donald Trump Jr., This is your typical ego-driven, power-hungry, underskilled hack who automatically assumes that just because he's the first boy to pop out of mommy's womb, he is entitled to get the kings to the kingdom. And he believes he doesn't need to do anything to earn it. He doesn't seem to care that no one sees him as capable or likable or worthy of any respect or support. And in the hands of a lesser actor, Commodus could have been a very stereotypical character. But Joaquin really goes the extra mile. You see his character's inner turmoil. Commodus starts to realize that he may not be very good at his job. And it's abundantly clear to him that he's not beloved or admired like his father was. His own sister can't stand the sight of him. And she's only polite to him because she's scared to death that he'll harm her son if she steps out of line. You see how he deteriorates through the course of the movie. The paranoia and anxiety are eating him up. I give props to the makeup team because you see the physical toll as the film goes on. His skin is getting pale. He looks gaunt. The circles under his eyes are getting darker and darker. At some point, it looks like he's no longer washing his hair. He's basically a man who is slowly going mad. And it really shows us what Joaquin can do with what might have normally been a somewhat basic supporting role. His nomination is also historic. His brother River Phoenix was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for 1988's Running on Empty, which means they were the first pair of brothers to earn acting nominations. Question three, should you watch it? Absolutely yes. This is a richly told story, and not just from the human redemption angle. This is a very well-crafted film. It's beautiful in every detail. In addition to the awards it won for Best Visual Effects, Costume, and Sound, it was nominated for, wait for it, Cinematography, Production Design, Film Editing, Sound Mixing, Best Original Score, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Director. It has every single element you would need to craft a perfect movie. Director Ridley Scott illustrates not only the individual character journey combined with the big 
epic battle element, which could not have been easy with so much happening on the screen simultaneously, but he also captures the historic beauty of ancient Rome. The set design, the costumes, while it's not quite historically accurate, it still manages to absorb you into a time and place we've heard so much about with real authenticity. And of course, it's the city of Rome. There's the Colosseum, the markets, the horses, the chariots. But when you go outside the city, it's even more beautiful. We see the remote countryside where Maximus lives with his family. And what you see is this chest high fields of green, I I believe it's probably wheat, slowly swaying in the wind. And it goes as far as the eye can see, set against a backdrop of what might be the bluest sky you've ever seen until the sun goes down. And suddenly the sky becomes shades of orange that I never realized even existed. It takes your breath away. It's so aesthetically pleasing that you almost forget that 37 seconds earlier, you watched a man get his arms ripped off. Truth be told, 20 years ago, I considered it to be really violent and maybe not my cup of tea. But over time, I've developed a greater tolerance for people being stabbed on screen. The last two decades have brought us The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and like seven different Purge movies. So our capability to handle on-screen violence has grown exponentially, particularly when that violence is someone fighting for their life, which is exactly what this is. You immediately side with Maximus, so you become perfectly okay with what he must do to survive. By the end, I was cheering him on. The early scenes of the movie when Maximus was leading his army into battle, those essentially repeat themselves later when you see how he emerges as a leader among his fellow slaves. To them, he is a stranger, just another good-for-nothing captured and being sent to slaughter. Although his reputation for being a great fighter begins to grow, no one knows he was once the great and mighty general. He starts to become this legend among the common people. He is known simply as the Spaniard which is a bit strange because I'm not sure Spain actually existed in 180 AD, but the name sticks. And it becomes kind of like a Kaiser Sose type character where people hear all of these incredible stories about him, but no one has any idea who he really is. And let's be clear, these fighting pits, there's nothing about them that is designed to be a competitive sport. The crowd buys a ticket because they want to see a virtually unarmed and defenseless slave be brutally murdered for their entertainment. No one would ever expect the underdog to actually win. And Maximus, relying on his strength in combat leadership, starts to organize a small group of slaves and teaches them how fighting as one unit will help them all survive. So now there isn't just the threat of one man. He's training his own mini army and they are becoming impossible to kill. There's a part in the film where Proximo, the slave owner who is the organizer and promoter, think of Don King of the gladiator world. He's the one that's putting Maximus into the arenas and making money off of him. He says to Maximus, if you want to win your freedom, you have to win the crowd. And it's working. The crowds are now coming out in droves and they are no longer cheering for the slaves to be killed. They are siding with the Spaniard. And all of this time, Commodus thinks Maximus is dead. So you can imagine the look on his face and probably the shit in his pants when he discovers that the legendary Spaniard is none other than Rome's most successful battle general. Once the word starts to spread about his real identity, there's an immediate changing of the tide. 
naturally people start to question why Maximus was put into slavery. He was a great general after all and fiercely loyal to Marcus Aurelius. It becomes apparent to the Roman Senate and to the general population that they were duped by Commodus, but he's the emperor and there's nothing they can do to remedy the situation. This is now Maximus's battle and only he can make things right. Gladiator is an emotional journey of this man who's been so wronged for no reason, and it's incredibly fulfilling to watch him fight his way back. It's absolutely worth it. I highly recommend you watch this one. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been episode one of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can like, follow, subscribe, and even post a review. If you have a comment, maybe I got some facts wrong, or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. And the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio, and if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, They do take donations, so please be generous. Thanks, and see you next week.